All right, so this episode is going to be a little bit different, probably a little bit shorter. And it started with an email in my Gmail promotions uh, category or subcategory, whatever you want to call it. And it was from the Blue Future Pack, which is like a progressive pack, political action committee. Anyway, the email said, Wade, it's no secret that the youth vote has been a key component of Democrats' strategy to win critical elections, but unfortunately, it's often one that the establishment takes for granted. That's becoming a big problem. According to new polling, 12th grade boys are now more than twice as likely to identify as conservative versus liberal. This is a significant shift when compared to previous years. Right-wingers, billionaires, have taken, have undertaken a deliberate strategy to persuade young people to their side while the Democratic Party takes its youth support for granted. Blue Future exists to plug that gap and provide sustained and year-round support for youth organizing to reach young voters and keep them inside our tent. So obviously, being inside the tent means within the uh, Democratic Party, and presumably or ostensibly within the progressive political camp generally. So that was from August 21st, 2023, that email. So, you know, that's what kind of reminded me that, oh yeah, maybe sometimes I should donate money to these organizations, even though it does feel a little bit icky and slimy and maybe like I'm selling out to uh, support a PAC or, uh, you know, one of the, one of those types of organizations. But you know what? I did it anyway. And uh, so I want to discuss a, a little bit about Blue Future PAC and also the, the youth who are, you know, engaging in activism today. So obviously some of us know that the far right is nonsense. We're not all fooled and we're not going away, you know, even though they would certainly like us to. And there are still some young activists who need encouragement and support. So uh, remember the March for Our Lives thing, where students called for action against gun violence. T to me, that, that was an interesting uh, movement that developed. And that was partly because, you know, that there was an issue there, but of course they also received some press attention. Students across the country staged walkouts to protest gun violence and demand legislative change. In 2018, the New York Times did an article on it. It was titled National School Walkout, Thousands Protest Against Gun Violence Across the U.S. And the article said the following, we have grown up watching more tragedies occur and continuously asking why, said Kaylee Tyner, a 16-year-old junior at Columbine High School outside Denver, where 13 people were killed in 1999, inaugurating in the public consciousness the era of high school shootings. Why does this keep happening? Well, you know, I, I remember the Columbine shooting and I can definitely say that 
At the time, school shootings did not seem like they were that common. And it definitely impacted me at the time. But, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't really that eager to be a youth voter at, at that, uh, at that moment, you know, that was way back, you know, when, when they were blaming Marilyn Manson for all of the violence. Do you remember that Marilyn Manson and Romstein were supposedly the ones who pulled the pin on this grenade and all of a sudden kids were going nuts because, you know, they heard the beautiful people or, or whatever. Back, back then that was something that the, uh, parents and the media were getting all on the bandwagon about and uh of course they also would blame you know violence in video games violence in movies to some degree although they've always been less inclined to blame violence in movies and tv because ultimately for whatever reason the system seems to actually ultimately embrace violence and it kind of hates sexuality more but if it is going to accuse you know media of being violent it's going to be with music or video games more than in the in the movies or tv shows what they do have a problem with is sex in tv shows and movies because we're supposed to be prudes but we're supposed to be violent prudes at the same time but anyway i'm i'm getting a little sidetracked here but you know i'm just having flashback to that era and you know i'm I'm proud to say that I support those brave students participating in the March for Our Lives demonstration. You know, part of it was in Washington, D.C., and there were other cities in the U.S. and possibly even around the world where people have done similar things. And you know what? I'm asking for your help to keep up the pressure because the politicians will not respond to anything short of major pressure on this and other issues, you know? Like, I, I don't believe in abolishing guns, but should there be some policies? Well, yes, of course. I mean, we've got, we've got, you know, rules and regulations regarding driving a car, you know, and stuff like that. So why not include weapons? Um, you know, there should be some sort of rules, standards when it comes to just about any topic. And as I've said before on this podcast, even if we were like way more of an anarchist society, like I think we would still want those, you know, we would still want some policies. Like, like if I, if I had my utopian vision of sort of a, a worker state or a, or a, you know, a worker controlled um, economy where the workers were owners and, you know, all consumers and, and whatever all had to say and how society functioned more, you know, like we could have workers co-ops and stuff. Well, I, I would still want, you know, health and safety regulations in place. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't want to let people just do literally anything they want. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's one of those things. And these activists, they understand that, you know, like, sure. You can, you can, generally oppose gun control and uh, i certainly know people who are like that but at the end of the day you know everyone favors gun control at least to an extent unless they're like complete goofballs right if you're if you're being attacked by someone with a gun or a knife you want to disarm them 
oddly enough, that technically is a form of gun control. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a more direct form of it, but nonetheless, you're wanting to take a gun away from somebody. And the idea of possibly preventing people with, you know, proven uh, violent histories from having access to guns or knives or frankly, any, any type of dangerous weapon, you know, it, it does make some sense. And, and I, I hate these idiots out there who are like, no, it makes no sense. It's, it's, it's nothing but anti-freedom. Well, okay. But you know, like if, if somebody's attacking you, you're going to want to take away their freedom as well. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, how far do we really want to take that premise? And, you know, a common interview question is, how do you work under pressure? Well, we all know how the Republican politicians would answer that. They work more easily under pressure from voters because they get campaign money from big corporations, in their case, absolutely including the gun lobby. So they can cope with the uh, pressures and the the people who who hate these politicians, you know, they can cope with it because they're making big money from it. They're laughing all the way to the bank. And, you know, in, in a lot of cases, getting away with certain types of crimes. Although, you know, obviously, people like George Santos really, <laughs> they really push it to the limit. And, uh, you know, what, what can you say? Sometimes you can be engaged in so much fraud and so much deceit that eventually you you do have to pay some sort of price. So we, we know young people are leading the resistance and, uh, you know, against Trump and his GOP lackeys in Congress. An article in Politico notes how Biden was able to take advantage of the youth vote. And uh, so that said, in Pennsylvania, President-elect Joe Biden won young voters by a 20-point margin compared to Hillary Clinton's nine-point advantage in 2016. In Wisconsin, Biden won the state's youngest voters by a 16-point margin, a dramatic rise from Clinton's razor-thin edge in 2016, and a significant swing in a state Trump only lost by 20,000 votes. Michigan saw a four-point shift from 2016 to 2020. It's not that Joe Biden electrified young people, the uh, uh, political article says. It's that there was a failure to connect with as many young people as we had the potential to. They're quoting a Trump ally who is heavily invested or involved in outreach to conservative youth. I guess that's an anonymous person that they had quoted. So technically, they are right that Joe Biden did not electrify voters. In fact, it was largely young voters and people concerned about things like women's rights to bodily autonomy who showed up to vote regardless of who the Democrats were going to put forward. Still, as I have warned, there is a danger that though voter suppression and effective propaganda are a factor, the radical fascist types um, could definitely gain ground also through threats of violence, you know, or actual violence. But really, all there has to be is threats. And uh, so you got the propaganda, the voter suppression, and 
either actual violence or threats thereof. It's easy enough to roll one's eyes and say, yeah, that will never be successful. That won't happen. The young voters hate Trump, yada, yada, yada. The problem is the young voters, just like so many other demographics, are impressionable. In this case, it might be more of their inexperience that makes them vulnerable or MAGA malleable, you might say. If they're already raised in a relatively conservative environment or are hornswoggled into thinking conservatism is edgy and hip, they may not only vote conservative, but may help shift this country even further to the right as the years go on. And it's already extremely far right as it is. The right will use memes, intentionally falsified news articles, and all kinds of stuff like that. And yeah, I know you can always find, you know, some liberals or, you know, uh, far left people using fake news as well. But, you know, we're not going to get so much into that this time. And as much as I want to be an optimist, I still know things could go the other way from how I think they should. So expect craziness to ramp up from the neo-fascists as the 2024 election draws ever nearer. The youth activists against fascism are, you know, they're, they're organizing even in the classroom, which obviously uh, the, the Republicans are going to try to stop. They're organizing on campus and using social media to organize powerful anti-Trump protests. And Donald Trump has made it clear that, you know, if he does win in 2024, he's going to actually crack down on any sort of protests. Like on day one, he's going to use the Insurrection Act, as, as it's called. So, I mean, let's... Let's look that up. I'm typing it up right now. It's a, it's a federal law that empowers the, the President of the United States to deploy U.S. military and federalized National Guard troops within the United States in particular circumstances such as to suppress civil disorder, insurrection, or rebellion. So he's going to definitely try to do that. He's going to bend the rules. He's going to treat all protests as if they are violent protests, just like he did in 2020. Remember when they claimed that pretty much everything was being burned down in every BLM protest, even though that actually was not true. But they used some of the more dramatic examples to say, look, it's all like that everywhere. We're all going to die. You know, that's, that's, of course, the message they wanted to send. And of course, a lot of the violence happening in 2020 was either done by the police or there were some right-wingers involved. You know, they they were trying to provoke a race war. You know, some of these white nationalist types who show up at protests will do that. And uh, they're going to do that again in 2024 or 2025. And, uh, you know, I think people should try to be smart about that. You know, may, maybe instead of uh, a large uh, protest. Maybe there should be a general strike instead, sort of a more quiet and potentially more powerful form of protest. And I, I suppose I would be on board with that too. Um, you know, if it comes down to it, I'm not sure. Um, but you know, these these youth voters, 
they're only as good as the support that we give them. If you're a supporter of these young activists, I want to hear from you and don't be afraid to donate to Blue Future as I did. I only gave them five bucks, you know, um, but it's a, it's a, it's an amount of money I was willing to spend. It's not much and, and all that stuff. So I'm not, I'm not going to pat myself on the back too much for it or, you know, in contrast, punish myself too much for it because it was only five bucks. You know, that's like, that's like the price of a cup of coffee or something. And, um, but, but the point is, you know, in a capitalist society, these, uh, PACs, they, they do have an influence. So you, you can either, uh, never donate to them. You know, that's your right. Or you can, and maybe, maybe you'll make a difference. You know, people are giving money to these uh, far-right organizations. So sometimes, you know, you might want to consider throwing some cash into a more progressive organization. Obviously, you might want to make sure that they're a valid organization, that they're not a total scam and all that kind of stuff. But the point is, no progress is going to be made without some amount of generosity. So uh, keep that in mind. I guess this wasn't really that much of a shorter episode. It's almost 20 minutes, but uh, whatever. Um, just wanted to put this out there and you have a beautiful day.